Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. We are starting a new series today, and this will run through the rest of the Epiphany season. It's called From the River to the Mountain. Today we'll talk about the river. The mountain will come at the conclusion of the series in a few weeks. You can read more about the series and find lots of coordinated resources on the foundation section of wellscongregationalservices.net. Uh, note that the foundation resources are encouraging observing the Festival of the Epiphany on Sunday, January 7th, 2024, and then the Baptism of Our Lord, which we are discussing today on the following Sunday, the 14th. Technically, that's off a bit. Janu January 7th, of course, is actually after Epiphany itself, January 6th. So technically, January 7th was the first Sunday after the Epiphany, but the Foundation wanted to get both of these important festivals on the calendar and into this series, so we're cheating just a little bit to do that. So Epiphany on the 7th and Baptism of Our Lord on the 14th is what is being suggested. Well, let's meet our preachers for this series. Both have served on the podcast before, and we welcome them back. Pastor Phil Kasmer from Christ the Lord Lutheran Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, and Pastor John Bordelin from St. John's Lutheran Church in McQuanago, Wisconsin. John and Phil, thanks for being with us again. Uh, Phil, could we start with you? Could you tell us a little bit about the weekly theme for this Sunday in this new series? Uh, John, you mentioned the overarching theme from the river to the mountain, and just kind of reminded me of a geographical map we're following the path and that's what we get to do in the in the festival half of the church here we're following christ's life and there's no better place to start uh at least epiphany as he's revealed to the world than this week's theme it begins with baptism uh, jesus comes if you look at the uh, foundation resources and if you get into the the other resources that are available, he comes from doing who knows what else, all sorts of being a good son and a carpenter's boy and all those things prior to this. But the Gospels relay the beginning of his life and then the beginning of his ministry. Uh, so maybe this theme gives us two things to talk about. Talk about Jesus' baptism, of course. You could not miss that on the baptism of our Lord, which is the inauguration and the revelation and the authorization of his work as our Savior. Uh, he comes to stand in our place as our substitute. Uh, but we also get a good reminder of our journey with God. <clears throat> uh, as Lutherans, we'd say perhaps most often starts with baptism too. Uh, it's the beginning of our eternal life with God. The gifts Jesus brings by God's grace in his ministry come to us through that baptismal means. God's grace and blessing are ours. So uh, it begins with baptism is, is our theme, a pretty good connection to our Lord and ourselves. Yeah, I think that that double meaning is is intended there, um, right? Jesus' baptism and ours, both uh, the beginning of something. So, John, let's go to you next. Could you remind us of what the gospel of the day uh, and the first reading uh, tell us and how they relate to our text for the day, which will be the second reading? Yeah, thanks, John, and uh, thanks, Phil. Interestingly, uh, Romans 6, which uh, was familiar to us, uh, I believe it was in year A when we had that whole slew of readings um, from Romans in the old dictionary, if you will, 
but I believe this is new to us in Wells um, to have Romans 6 um, attached to the baptism of our Lord. And so while we've considered uh, these familiar words before, um, to have it paired with these other two readings. So so Mark chapter 1, right, 4 to 11 is the gospel uh, for the Sunday. And uh, shouldn't surprise us from Mark that this is the uh, shortest treatment of the baptism of our Lord in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And and really 4 to 11, uh, the majority of that section is on, on John, and he's preaching something um, that uh, sounds crazy in our day and age, that uh, your sin doesn't look good on you. Um, and he's preaching and proclaiming a baptism um, of repentance. And when that preaching is done, then it's Jesus showing up. And uh, John just simply says, and he was baptized by John, or Mark simply says he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then the declaration, you are my beloved son um, with you. I am well pleased. As uh, Phil says, um, you can't miss the baptism of Jesus um, on this day, but the context of the father being well pleased with his son um, sets the scene for Romans 6. Um, in your baptism, he is also well pleased with you. Uh, the first reading, um, the second servant song of Isaiah from Isaiah um, 49, and just a couple of things that jump out um, from those verses uh, that in our baptism we can say, um, with the servant that um, our right is with our Lord and our, our reward is due us. Um, certainly not our own reward, but because of who we are in Christ. And then just that big point in Isaiah 49 that uh, it's, it's too small a thing that this would just be for, for the Jew, that this would just be for the nation of Israel, but that uh, you and I and our hearers would be included um, and that proclamation, a light for the nations and his salvation um, stretching uh, to the ends of the earth. Um, a couple of takeaways from um, Isaiah 49. Yeah, I think the commentary on the propers makes the, the interesting point, too, that um, if the festival of the Epiphany is Jesus revealed as Savior to all nations, um, especially that verse uh, Isaiah 49, 6, uh, makes it crystal clear, uh, and we're included in that too. And then combine that with, through baptism, God brings us in in fulfillment of that prophecy into the the kingdom uh, of the servant, and into His family. Um, yeah, so some neat connections there. Well, let's then turn to our sermon text for the day: Romans six verses one through eleven. Uh, Phil, let's go back to you just to get our discussion started. We're assuming uh, preachers have done a text study on this, but let's just go back and, and highlight some things and share whatever additional thoughts you'd like about this text. Thanks, John. Um, maybe we just start big and say if we you know, look over this whole sweep of verses, there's a ton in here. And almost any time you preach on Romans is a daunting sermon to write. Um, but there is a we theme to it. I mean, you get in verse one, what shall we say? So Paul is engaging the reader and, and having us think through, well, on the basis of all of the justification and other things he has said before, how do we characterize our lives? And I think that could be an overarching thought for us. We could talk about that again in themes, but just identity 6.1, what do we say? Jump down to 
Um, Paul's giving us an imperative to consider ourselves or count ourselves or reckon ourselves a certain way. Uh, and throughout, he asks questions like verse three, don't you know? Or verse uh, six, we know that. Um, we're talking about who we are and what we know. And then, of course, on the basis of our connection to Christ. Uh, and in these verses, 6, 1 to 11, the beautiful baptism connection that is ours. Uh, if we were baptized, it was into Christ Jesus and then into his death. Uh, and that gives us a new, a new reality, a new life where we are not ruled by sin anymore. Um, so aside from any details, which we can go further into, <clears throat> I think it's that uh, resetting of things for us, our, our new identity, our new direction uh, based on baptism and connected back to Christ's ministry. All right. Uh, John, you want to pick up there, add uh, some thoughts? Uh, Phil's gotten us started thinking about, yeah, kind of the bigger sweep of this text, the, the contours of it. Um, yeah, anything you'd like to point out that uh, you're focusing on as you approach this text? Yeah, um, no, and I think, John, when you said uh, in your introduction, uh, you know, uh, the preachers have probably done their text study, and it's and it's one of those things, Paul said it's always done, or Phil said it's always daunting to um to preach on Romans. And this might be a text where I would be tempted to uh, uh, give short shrift to the, to the text study. Um, these words are familiar. They're a part of an adult instruction class. Um, if you do remembrance of baptism as part of baptism of our Lord, you've, you've spoken these words and, and, and Luther's catechism part four, and it's part of our funeral liturgy. And so um, it was a little bit of uh, joy um, earlier today um, playing around uh, with the text uh, verse by verse. And um, I guess uh, I'm not always good at this, uh, actually rarely good at this, but um, paying attention um, to the uh, to the prepositions that Paul uses. Uh, there's probably a sermon or two that could be lost um, in the word, uh, you know, the Greek word sin or sun, if you will, you know, with, um, whether it stands alone or in the compound forms, um, the reality of baptism, what that means, um, connected with uh, with Christ, um, and then also just to marvel at how um, Paul walks it through uh, in his in his style, um, uh, drawing us into uh, who God is as a God of mercy, but immediately answering, um, you know, this isn't about uh, cheap grace and. And what what would you expect his answer would be if it's not cheap grace? Is it is it more to the law? Well, actually, it's the exact opposite. It's it's to the gospel, and it's to the gospel so uh, beautifully proclaimed um, to us and for us um, in our baptism. And so uh, you spend the time with those individual words, and uh, you know how how come the imperative doesn't come ar around until the last verse here, um, and then you take that that look again and, uh, you know, baptismal identity and um, he answers what cheap grace is about. He deals with the now and the not yet uh, um, and just the real practical nature of, you know, uh, that I pray the hearer of my sermon would walk out of there with, okay, now this is what my baptism um, has to say about my life um, tomorrow um, in this world. Yeah. Great. Um, 
Yeah, thank you for pointing out the the the, the with uh, the sin compound or the way it's used numerous times here. We are connected to Jesus. We are with him in his death, his resurrection, his death to sin, his new life uh, to the glory of the Father. Um, yeah, that comes across so many different ways um, and so many different times in this text. Uh, Phil, going back to you, um, I'm thinking in terms of law and gospel in this text, um, uh, I think we could say, as with many sections in Romans, it's pretty clear, but um, nevertheless, we shouldn't just assume that um, we're all going to pick up on it and proclaim it clearly, because uh, there's a lot of details in the text we could focus on. But how do you present law and gospel, generally speaking, from this text? What are some ideas you've got that you're working with? Um, that's funny that you say it's pretty clear, and now I'll I'll try to make my answer exactly what you were thinking of. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I shouldn't have said it that way, right? Um, I mean, there's law and gospel. I guess I was thinking that. I, I think it is. I think Sin. you're right. It, it is pretty clear. Sin and um, Jesus. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, the way I like to think about it, looking at it, is in the festival half of the church year. A lot of the time, I kind of wonder if you know. Like we're in the most joyous thing. It's the celebration of Christ and his work. And it's the vivid um, revelation of all he has done for me. But there can be like a, a remove, I think, where I'm, you know, it isn't talking about how do I be a good husband or something that's specific, right? So I said at the beginning, this text is about us. Um, you know, but notably, in the middle of this text, it's actually all about the joy of what God has done in Christ and connected us to in baptism. And so I guess one thing I, I think of with uh, the law and the gospel, perhaps at the same time, two sides of the same coin would be, you know, in like verse two and three and four and six and eight, these, these verbs that God uses for our relationship with sin or the old man or whatever, are all these aorist, done, fact things. Um, and so there's the gospel beauty of, like, Jesus' work is accomplished, and even when we get to seven, and he says, did it coyote, you know, how, however we determine, maybe we'll talk about that, you want to translate it as we've been justified. Um, our sin is done, right? Like, it is finished. And we are set into a new reality, a new identity. Um, I think the sin temptation for us can be that we don't think of ourselves in that reality. We think of sin, perhaps, even uh, as good Christian men and women, as a living thing, like, I am a sinner, which may be true, but perhaps my identity ought to be most, I am a saint. I have been forgiven, um, and I can let that old identity overtake me. I guess that's how I was thinking of it. Um, mm -hmm. And then the joy from all that done work of God in Christ is there's this living reality that I have where daily I'm called to live a life that is new, uh, and, and that goes to resurrection and all these kind of things. So, sorry, to summarize it, I'd say probably getting stuck in the old dead part. I consider it alive and I live according to that sinful nature. Instead, I 
I'm grounded in the, the blessing of new life that God's given. Yeah. Phil, Phil, if I can, um, and thanks for, uh, you know, uh, we're watching you on video. And when you made your emphatic point, you kind of leaned into your, your desk and it was, you know, John and I could, could really tell you're getting to the point you were going to make. But, uh, you know, when, uh, when you, you talk about the reality that my sin has been done away with, um, you know, the, the elephant in the room, I, I think as I hear these words, or I put myself in the pews and try to hear them, um, you know, we who've died to sin, um, how can we live in it any longer? Well, the question immediately comes to my mind and my ears. Well, well, I live in it every day. It's this constant battle that's going on. And so to hear St. Paul say, um, no, this is actually what's uh, happened to your sin. Um, it's been done away with and and you're actually dead to it right um uh my kids probably shouldn't but sometimes they'll say to their siblings you're dead to me and that's not the right way to say it but but what they of course are getting after is i have no use for you and so when paul just says it um in such crystal terms um you've died to sin and so um so here's a new reality it's a new way it's a christ way um, somewhere along the line, I picked up uh, Dr. Becker's, it's the transcript of his old uh, Roman lectures. And uh, yeah. he has, uh, he has, uh, he reaches back here to when he was in grade school and his school teacher was also the organist in the schoolhouse. So they had to go to every funeral. And then um, the school teacher also led the singing at the, at the graveyard. So he talked about uh, those kids would all go to the graveyard and he said the the old tradition of that church, uh, when the coffin was laid into the ground and then there was a, a, a pine box and a pine box lid and, and one of the elders who was there would actually start nailing the cover to that box. Um, and, and as they're throwing the dirt onto the, the box, you know, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, he said whenever he would hear, uh, this is Dr. Becker writing now, um, whenever he would hear in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he would just hear the clods of dirt hitting um, yeah. that coffin. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, dummy me, by virtue of my baptism, um, that's my sin is as dead as that body um, laying in that pine box um, that the earth is hitting. So I thought that was a, a colorful way to describe the reality of yeah. my baptism so yeah i remember that in becker's commentary i think i've used that before uh too that same story uh but really vivid connecting the words of baptism to now this is an actual death happening um the death of our sin uh and the resurrection then of a new life um a new identity for us um yeah so i i was thinking of law and gospel similar to what uh what you guys have said um kind of that first question in uh, verse one of the text, <clears throat> you know, comes from a place of uh, a believer who is already dead to sin, but maybe, you know, the sinful nature is rising up and kind of flirting with this idea of, uh, yeah, you know, hey, this could be a win-win. I like sinning and God likes forgiving evidently. So um, why can't we just both keep on that pattern. And Paul says that it, it makes no sense. Uh, that's not who you are. Um, your, your identity has been recreated 
by the, the the justifying word of God um, in baptism, and uh, you should not think of yourself in that way anymore because that's not who you really are. Uh, yeah, so the the law and the gospel um, both coming across so vividly there. Um, yeah, uh, Phil, further thought on that? I just, in, in verse one, that epimeno verb, um, you know, does not only mean to remain, it probably means to persist, but like, I just think some of those local picture ideas are good, um, especially juxtaposed with like in verse three, and I'm not going to find all of them now, but he says into Christ at least a couple times in here. You know, and so isn't that the question too? It's like, um, am I going to dally in sin? Is that where I'm going to remain and play around and stay? Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I'm in Christ. I'm somewhere else. That's where my um, identity and, and living exists now. I, I think that kind of physical way sometimes is functional to think about it, even if it's a bad translation of Epimeno. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where are we going to stay? Where are we going to remain, hang out, uh, live our lives? Uh, not in sin, but in Christ. Yeah. Um, do you guys approach this text as, um, or kind of maybe this wrong way to ask it, but what proportion justification, what proportion sanctification, um, or how do you um, address uh kind of the justifying gospel that's here, but also Paul, you know, very much leading into kind of the sanctification thoughts, the battle with the, the old self will be coming up and spotlighted in the next chapter, but it's here already. Um, yeah, how do you approach uh, those two chief teachings from this text? Um, um, I don't know thoughts? how well I answer. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah I don't know how well I answer your question. Um, other than to say uh, one of the things that comes to mind readily is um, remember, remember your baptism, right? I think of how often as a pastor, I say that in a catechism class or adult catechism or, or even in preaching, remember your baptism. I think this text gives me a very clear opportunity to say, well, well, what am I really after when I'm saying, remember your baptism? It, 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 please uh, don't take this as a, just a pious cliche, but it's, um, it's a battle cry, and it's a battle cry, sanctification that's completely rooted in a reality, um, Christ and his work and uh, reality, your baptism into Christ and your connection with Christ and that new life you have with him. And so, um, you know, if I if I walk away from Romans 6 uh, uh, with it uh, in my ears uh, every, every morning, um, John, consider yourself um, dead to sin, um, but also um, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, so, so yes, that's just a long way to say yes, maybe is how I answer it. But uh, mm -hmm. um, I think there's a real practical nature to my daily life with, uh, with these words. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Phil, some thoughts uh, on that? Uh, just... I think I was, my thought is similar to what I said earlier on that, you know, my initial reaction was like, okay, uh, here's a text that it's about us. Um, you know, what will we do? What do we know? And then 11, now consider yourselves this way. 
uh, except, as John rightly said, you both said, that there's so much content in here that is justification, that is like everything God has done. And if I was picking a balance, I think I'm more on that end where my sanctification imperative is to paint and then take away the picture of my total identity in Christ. Um, John said, I have specific things that I'm going to remember and know. I think sanctification gets to be down almost to the imperative at the end. What gives us that? How do you reckon yourself? And then how? This way, all these things. Uh, and as you said, John, I think at the beginning, I guess you'd have to judiciously choose what and how much you're going to dive into each of these like whole sermon verses. Yeah. And this is John. Uh, if I, if I might on that, um, I think my view of Roman six is colored a little bit from, uh, you know, I'm a slow learner, but uh, my grandfather's funeral, his funeral was at a Catholic church, you know, and it was, it was the Paul being put on the casket and the, the water that they were shaking on the casket, you know, landing on my, on my, my black dress shoes, you know, as the, uh, the vivid reminder of, of, of what baptism is all about. And that, that clicked for, for whatever reason. Um, and so I think me, me, the only thing that makes, uh, uh, if you can schedule a baptism on this Sunday, go for it, you know, but, uh, the, there's just so many realities that are facing your folks. Um, it, you're, you're off of Christmas, you're off of Epiphany. And, and, and now this just preaches to the baptized and, and, um, and by the way, um, I think there's probably going to come a day for most of you, uh, when you're in the lead car in that funeral procession. And, um, and this, this, uh, text allows you to confront that head on. Um, so there's the justification aspect if you come back to it. Um, but you can't get away from um, what Paul is addressing here is uh, he's answering the question, should we just keep sinning? Um, well, no, you shouldn't. It, I, you know, he says it's stronger than that, of course. Uh, it doesn't look good on you. And oh, by the way, it's not even not even what you are as a new man in Christ, because you're actually dead along that way. And so, and then that he can paint those beautiful pictures and wrap it up with the, the great, therefore, you know, verse 11. So here's your reckoning. Um, John, Phil, you get to live today, counting your, your deadness to sin and your, your uh, aliveness, um, if that's even a word, um, in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Great. Phil? Uh, John's funeral talk reminded me that a lady we had in hospice just died this morning when I saw her last Thursday. Uh, you know, she's probably like holiest old lady, oldest lady our church has currently or had, um, but just such a nice woman. And yet still on her deathbed, um, her big question to me was all my sins are forgiven you know even at 98 even after we had clearly shared all the time over and over again every time we visit um so i need to i need to know that as my identity i think john's emphasis at the end though is correct you'd, you'd hate to divorce uh this text justificationally from its actual place where he says 
So don't make the conclusion that we can just live however we like. No, we live who we are. Right, right. And of course, those two things are bound together, distinct, but always where you find one, you find the other, where you find someone given a new life and justified in Christ, you find somebody living out that new life and vice versa, where you see good truly being done um, by God's power. The only way you can do that is having been justified. Um, yeah, so you see in this text kind of the those two coming together. Um, yeah, John, you reminded me, I think you alluded to it earlier, that uh, that remembrance of baptism in the Christian funeral service, it, that's there for this very reason, and quotation from these verses is right there. So that at the end of uh, a Christian's life, when you're celebrating their going home to be with the Lord, um, we remember that uh, it began with baptism, um, and they were clothed with Christ and raised up to a new life, and they anticipate a resurrection of the body now, too, just as Christ was raised. Um, so yeah, there's a future element to that, too, but also as we've been talking about a right now element to this text as well. Um, this is new life we have right now in Christ. John? Yeah, no, I just, I was just uh, thinking here about Luther's uh, catechetical breakthrough. Um, you know, obviously we think about this passage when it shows up uh, in, in part four uh, of baptism, you know, what, what does this mean uh, for, for our daily lives? But, but I guess I also think about, uh, you know, the second article, uh, that this redemption, um, set me free that I should be his own, live under him in his kingdom, serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Well, if it's true for all eternity, right? Isn't St. Paul's point in Romans six. It's also true for, for this day. Uh, uh, you know, I actually, uh, I can say this about myself, understanding the symbol. Um, I don't want to forgive that person. Um, and pastorally, maybe uh, I spent too much time uh, trying to convince the person why they should for want to forgive that person, um, rather than saying, "Yeah, I get that you don't want to, but um, but you're act that sin's actually dead with Christ, and and now Christ has given you a new way to live, and that way um, involves forgiveness, and and maybe that's just the way to remind myself. This isn't just reminding my hearers about their baptism it's actually the power um it's actually the power for their for their life um, so i don't know if that's helpful but right but yeah it is a living power right now absolutely uh, uh yeah i was just recently doing some reading about luther and uh his <clears throat> thinking on baptism and justification and things like that and um <clears throat> the author made the point uh of saying that uh, you know, Luther had this breakthrough understanding justification so clearly, but then always had to contend with the reality of, um, yeah, of sin and evil continuing in the believer's life. Um, so we're justified, we're we're righteous to God, but we still sin. Well, what do you do with that? Um, and Luther came back to places like Romans 6 and said, well, uh, daily you acknowledge your sin and you realize that it's forgiven in Christ and you are baptized and made new and this is your new identity. So daily contrition and repentance that he talks about and baptism fourthly. Um, yeah, that it's, it's just a real way of dealing with the fact that we are new people in Christ 
and we're still dealing with uh, screwing up and sinning every day. Um, but the power is there in, in our baptism and in God's grace there uh, to address those things in our lives. Uh, Phil? And Paul does that, right? I mean, right after this, we go into Romans 7. Yep. Paul yep. himself says, mm -hmm. what a wretched man I am. Who will save me? Ah, same result. Thanks be to God and to Christ Jesus for this. Because the reality is verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4. We, we have a new walk, right? Our, this is for our daily lives to be full of the grace of God and the forgiveness he has won. Phil, did you just say that seven comes after six? I did say that, yeah. You know why six is afraid of seven? Seven, eight, nine? Yeah, try it in Spanish, huh? No. Because siete, ocho, nueve. Um, but the reality, you know, John Mitchell asked, like, uh, hey Luther, what do you do with that? Right? Wasn't Luther's answer? Well, you plunge it, uh, you plunge it uh, into the grave with Christ, um, mm -hmm. yeah. which is exactly what's 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 happened um, to you. So, right, right, exactly. Well, um, what um, other illustrations, applications, uh, John? You had the Siegbert Becker story. I think is a good one. I mean at. Are, are there other ways of uh, illustrating this or applying it uh, that you'll bring out in a sermon? Uh, and John, you also referred to like, um, yeah, the example of I'm struggling to forgive someone. How can I do that? Well, it's because God has given me this new real identity as uh, a new creature forgiven by him and living as that I can forgive. Any other suggestions for applications, uh, Phil? Um, I always, I probably lean too much on the pictures in the language, but, uh, there's probably the, some illustration in who do we obey, um, where our, mm -hmm. our sinful nature is dead, right? Or the, right. the, <laughs> you gotta say it right. Death no longer has mastery or that, that kind of thing. We're no longer slaves to sin. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't be ruled by sin. Uh, you know, and I, it made me think right away. I'd have to flesh that illustration out, but of any of the times where my little children reprimanded by somebody else were like, they don't have authority over me. Now, whether that was true or not in the moment, um, that is a question in this case. Sin doesn't have the power over me anymore. Um, yeah. So who do we obey? And then that reckon word, I don't, maybe John has thoughts on that too, but that's such a strong verb at the end, the imperative, you know, whether it's like, What's your life accounting or whatever way you want to render reckon, but maybe it just goes to identity. Like you said already, John. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John. Yeah. I just, I think uh, whether it's application or illustration, but uh, I think baptism of our Lord uh, Sunday gives opportunity um, to connect uh, very clearly to different parts of the service. Um, and so the the beginning of the service is our baptismal identity. Um, the absolution is tied, you know, to our, you know, I, I wonder, you know, if I'm going to make the point that Dr. Becker makes about uh, hearing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, I, I hear clods of dirt, you know, hitting the ground. And so maybe drawing that connection to where that occurs um, in, in the service, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a good Sunday if you want to use the remembrance of baptism for your confession 
um, of faith. Uh, there's just different ways to to drive this point uh, point home. Um, you know where the baptismal font is and why it's there, even when there's when there's not a baptism um, going on. And then you know to to tie in the the other uh, readings, right? The 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 father's uh, voice beaming uh beloved and uh that my my right now my reward uh because of who this this servant is and the prayer of the day escapes uh my tongue right now but i i think there's something right in the prayer of the day about helping us live as the baptized or something along those lines yeah. as well so keep us faithful in our calling yeah. as your children right yeah mm -hmm. exactly yeah, good, good suggestion, pointing at all the numerous places that every week we're reminded uh, we are baptized into Christ, and therefore we live a new life. Um, theme ideas uh, or approaches to the sermon, um, things that uh, you're working with at this stage, John? Yeah, I'm going to go first, and then Phil can clean it up. Um, so so I, I was thinking uh, with this uh, sermon, um, you know, and and you know, a theme, should I, should I just keep sinning or, or whatever? But, uh, um, I, I was wondering about walking through it in this way that, uh, just start out, uh, Hey, there's two realities and the one reality is Christ, um, and, and his baptism and his, uh, his inauguration, if you will. And the other reality is you and your baptism. And so I'm speaking to ones, who are baptized into Christ, and then if that's not you, come talk to me afterwards. Let's let's talk, um, and then you know, not walking through the the text verse by verse, but it does lend to, well, you know, we have a question in front of us, and and actually we have a series of questions, and and then those questions um, lead. Uh, we have a death. Actually, we have a lot of deaths, and um, and and where there's death and there's burial, and when there's burial, there's resurrection. So, so question to death to burial to resurrection. Um, and different uh, application points all along the way. But it finally does lead to the what's the point, what's the therefore, the great counting, the great reckoning, um, the, the remember your baptism. Actually, John, have it whispered in your ear. Um, you remember this day because of all that Paul says in verses 1 to 10, that you are dead and now you're alive. And and I don't know if more freeing words can be spoken than those. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Phil, some ideas for theme or how to put a sermon uh, together or structure it? Uh, <clears throat> I really kind of went one direction and just thought mostly through the identity question, uh, the who we are. And if I was going to do a theme, John mentioned it earlier, but I had written down, uh, you're dead to me. And then thinking through uh, that kind of statement that we make with people or sometimes people make with each other where we say, you have, you have no power over me or there's no accounting for you in my life. Um, you get to say something like that to sin and death because of the baptismal connection to Christ and his ministry, his vivid baptism brings me into his death and life and all these things, my new identity, who I am um, and what that allows me to say to, the temptations of sin and the realities of who the world wants me to be and all that stuff. <clears throat> You're dead to me, says steadfastly and something else that Christ has made. 
Yeah, I think yeah, the vivid way of of picturing that and kind of you know suggests the application right every day. Here's how to think. Here's what to say uh, to sin. Um, all right, any further thoughts that might be helpful to preachers that we haven't covered yet? Uh, anything? Final thoughts? If not, um, let's just wrap it up for today. We've given preachers a lot to think about and a lot to wrestle with um, on the basis of this text. But God bless you all, preachers, as you craft a sermon uh, based on Romans 6 and proclaim that uh, in Christ, by baptism, we are dead to sin and alive to God.